are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. Welcome to another episode of Call for Karen's The Empowerment Hour. My name is Michelle Bolden, and I am your guide as we journey through caregiving together. The Empowerment Hour will bring inspiration, education, and resources to our audience of family caregivers. The information you receive today, we hope, is tangible information that you can use immediately after listening to the podcast. So during three, uh, season three, we would like to hear from you. So please share your areas of interest for future episodes by first subscribing and then adding comments to our episodes, including today's episode. We are now in the month of love. Everybody goes red in February, including the Empowerment Hour. This is National Heart Health Month. The Journal of Women's Health shares African-American women have the highest cardiovascular disease burden compared with women of other ethnic groups. Cardiovascular disease affects 47% of African-American women and African-American women who have the highest rates of hypertension, stroke, heart failure, cardio, ar coronary artery disease um, among women in the United States. What is considered heart disease? Well, the World Health Organization describes heart or cardiovascular disease as a group of disorders of the heart and blood vessels. This includes coronary heart disease, which causes a heart attack, or cerebrovascular disease, which is related to a stroke, or congenital heart disease, which is a birth defect that impacts the normal functioning of the heart. Chronic illnesses such as blood pressure or high blood pressure or diabetes are, con are not considered cardiovascular diseases, but those diseases that go uncontrolled can lead to cardiovascular disease. On today's episode, we want to welcome a caregiver, a survivor, and an advocate for patients and families dealing with heart disease. I'm excited to welcome our guest today, Ms. Kimberly Goodlow. Good morning, Kimberly. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning, Michelle. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm doing great. <laughs> good, good. So I would like for you to start by sharing your background. Yes. My name is Kimberly Goodlow. I'm entering my 14th year as an ambassador for the American Heart Association. Prior to the American Heart Association, I was a case manager for the Department of Family and Children's Services and for the Department of Labor. And I was also a stellar sub for Gwinnett County Public Schools. Okay. So you've been in that role of serving people, whether it's personally or professionally, for a very right. long time, sounds like. Yeah. yeah. It's just part of your heart's journey. It's And it's my passion, yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So can you share um, a little bit about your care journey with, with your loved one? Yes. My sister, Dr. Karen Lee Bryant, transitioned on April 30th of 2022. She called me February of that year and told me that she was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. She was a non-smoker. 
she had no, her symptoms began after her diagnosis. And what mm -hmm. led her to the hospital in February, she complained about her stomach bothering her. And uh, it was something abdominal, you know, something going on with her stomach. Mm -hmm. And an X-ray took place. And that's when the doctors discovered the cancer. Mm -hmm. She was diagnosed February of 2022. 2022. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she transitioned April of 2022 that's when my caregiver my caregiver journey began with my dear sister mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I attended a doctor's appointment with her in Nashville Tennessee I was her advocate I collected the information for her during her exam I went to the cancer resource center at Vanderbilt Medical Center where I retrieved valuable information to share with my sister I prayed with my sister. I told my sister I would stand by her side through her whole journey. And I would, I am totally committed to honoring my sister, continuing the fight, because everything happened so fast. And I'm still processing what took place. Mm -hmm. So I was there as a comforter for her. I prayed. I was praying for my sister, providing that emotional support and the resources that she needed along her journey. <laughs> yes, I, I was just going to say that, you know, it, it was such a um, a short journey for you. And that's the challenge with lung cancer is that we have this image of what a person with lung cancer has or looks like. And so they've been smoking for years, you know, and that just wasn't the case for your sister. And yes. so um, prior to that, you know, has she generally been healthy and just really nothing else was going on? She was healthy. In fact, she, I visited her. I traveled to Nashville December of 2021. We were together. There were no signs of lung cancer. No. I was with her. So yeah. that's why it's really hard to process. Right. 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 Um, and, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's just a short period. And, I, you know, one of the things that can allow for us to kind of continue and be able to it's okay that we have those moments of grief because we've lost that loved one especially when it's been so acutely and then you know when they have children left behind you you, you think about the children as well and kind of what they may be missing with their mom and so I know it's still a process for you and so if you could share some one of the your favorite moments or memories with your sister that allows for you to reflect back and smile and laugh when you think about her. Um, if you could share one of those moments with us. Yes, uh, back when she received her diagnosis, uh, my sister asked me to travel to Nashville, you know, for support. And she said, just let's just spend time together. Let's just have so much fun. And I traveled to Nashville, I, Nashville and I stayed a week with her. We did so many things together. She was the she just received a diagnosis, so she was still able to walk around and she had some energy. So we walked the park, we went to lunch, we had dinner. Most of all, we did a lot of talking. We did a lot of reflection. Mm -hmm. And I, I have a smile on my face because mm -hmm. I, I I cherish, I hold those memories in my heart. We we connected at another level. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. did. And uh, I'm glad that I was able to travel 
Uh, it was a four-hour drive uh, from Atlanta to Nashville, but I'm so glad. I'm so glad that yeah. I honored yeah. her request. Yes. Because we yeah. were able to create beautiful memories that I will forever hold in my heart. That is wonderful. And and I know as we kind of talked before, just the simple things like that, that allow for that are so powerful for us um, when we connect with our loved ones and our family one. It's just conversation and spending time together, yeah. physical time, not on the phone, not checking the phone, but just literally having conversation, laughing, um, being able to look at one another face to face so you can see and understand their expression sometimes of what they're thinking without even having the words said. That's yeah. just the great thing about bonding with someone um, emotionally and connecting to them um, and not through a device. And so exactly. it didn't, doesn't cost anything to do that, just to sit and talk about the, 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 the present, the past, and just enjoy one another's presence. So I think that's a beautiful memory. Absolutely. Yes. I'm yeah. smiling because it's forever <laughs> in my heart. I we had so much fun. I, I'm so glad that I had that time. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> now you know, as we talked about, it was such a short period of the diagnosis yes. to when your sister passed. And so the grieving process takes a period of time, you know, for anyone, whether you knew that you know they were diagnosed and had been sick for years. Um, it's still a process of grieving. And so when it happens so quickly, you know, that makes it even a little more challenging. And so, um, and if you're a caregiver, you're in it every day. And then all of a sudden, you know, when you lose your loved one, you're no longer doing that. So that it's almost like a loss of responsibility of who you were and also that person. And so can you talk a little bit about what you did to kind of help through your grieving process after your sister passed? Yes, uh, my sister's memorial service took place May of 2022. After I returned home from Nashville, I reached out to my church community, my church family, and I enrolled in the Grief Share program. It was a 12-week program. Uh, I created a journal. I have a journal full of notes that I learned from the course. I also reached out to my village and my neighbors mm -hmm. and my entire church family, uh, my friends, my husband, my children have been by my side all the mm -hmm. way. And just the emotional support, knowing that I can reach out and, and stay connected with everyone regarding my uh, grieving process means the world to me. So that was the key, uh, seeking support. Right, right. That's yeah, that that's that's awesome. And, you know, even if you can't do, you know, a 12 week class, which is which is amazing that that church, your church was able to offer that. And I would tell our listeners to kind of seek those programs, whether it's in your church or just a community center that Correct. offers um, even um, like the triple A's. Um, may offer those type of things. Um, the Division of Aging in your state mm -hmm. may offer that type of service as well, where you can get some type of grief, grief counseling, whether it's just, you know, a couple of sessions or like a whole program that you experience. Um, another resource, which is just, you know, talking to a family friend where you can just vent and share that, but to be able to um, address that in some type of way so that you are grieving through that process and not just kind of holding it all in. Um, definitely yeah. encourage, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone and, to do that. Mm -hmm. 
and even uh, some of my friends who have lost their sisters, they had a, a really uh, different perception than everyone else because their relationship was similar to my sister. You know, mm. my relationship I went with my sister. So it's been very comforting to hear from my friends yeah, who are right. also lost their sister. Yes, that's great. You know, yeah, you, you know, use someone else's experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, we're each individual how we handle that, but it's good to to know those emotions that you're feeling that you're not alone and and kind of how it grows and you know, each day you have to take one at a time and each day gets a little bit better. Um, one thing I've learned from the grieving process, there's no time frame. Mm. There's no time frame. And sometimes I feel like I am putting pressure on myself. Mm -hmm. uh, to push through, but I do under I do understand that there's no time. Right, absolutely. That's a great point. Great point. Yeah. And you know what I I enjoy about our conversations that you're so willing to share with everyone, and that's why yeah. you're such a great advocate to people. Thank you. Thank you're you. absolutely welcome. And so when you share about your sister's story to kind of help folks who have you know, mm -hmm. lung cancer. And then also you're sharing your own story about this whole venture about heart disease. Yeah. So can you kind of share your health journey through heart disease, kind of where you started and, and where you are? Yes. February, 2009, my heart valve replacement surgery took place. I was born with a birth defect. And for 40, for 42 years, I was never sick, never sick. I developed symptoms, a heart catheterization test was ordered, and the surgeon, surgeon informed my husband that I would need my aortic valve replaced. So I'm living with a mechanical heart valve in my heart and a pacemaker. Four days after the open heart procedure that took place in 2009, I experienced irreversible heart blockage. And the surgeon informed my husband that I would need a pacemaker to help my heart function. Mm -hmm. And I'm so proud to say on February the 12th of this year, I will celebrate my 15th heart mm -hmm. valve replacement surgery. I'm so excited. Yes. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm excited for you. That's wonderful. Yes, and uh, I was born with a birth defect because a lot of people ask, well, what happened? Did What, what were the symptoms? Mm -hmm. I was born with a birth defect, and we were never told it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at time of birth. Mm -hmm. yeah, we did not mm -hmm. receive that information until mm -hmm. 42, wow. 42 years later. Right. Through God's grace, yes. I was able to start my family and go to college and start my career. God had his hand the whole time. So. Right. Uh, someone asked me, Kim, what do you plan to do with your second chance at life? Mm. Uh, I I was asked this question after my open heart procedure and my response. God gave me a second chance at life. And now I give back to the community, sharing my journey and right. helping other, other patients and their caregivers cope through the recovery process. Because it is a process. I absolutely, that is amazing. That is amazing. Um, <clears throat> so what I wanted to talk a little bit um, about now was um, the caregiving team that you build. 
And so when I, when you shared your, your journey of um, <laughs> yeah. how you got a team, I was like, okay, you pulled out all <laughs> the widgets, all the people from everywhere. And it came from you just sharing, yeah. sharing with your community of folks that you see every day that we don't often do. Um, we kind of keep that hidden. And so can you talk about how you kind of created your caregiving team that supported you and your family? Because your children were young. Yes, my daughter was six at the time and my son was nine years old. And when I received my diagnosis, open heart surgery, all I could see was my husband's face, my daughter's face. I froze. So for the love that I have for my uh, my family, I, I reached out. And it was hard because, I mean, I was still processing, you know, receiving the information, but I didn't have time to think. I thought about, I want my family taken care of. Whatever that may look like, I didn't know. I created a calling post. I created a calling, coast, a calling, calling post account. I entered my friends' numbers. So every week, my husband would enter a message giving everyone the progress as uh, far as my heart condition uh, at the hospital. And I was in the hospital for 11 days. So every week, he would enter a message, and everyone would receive the message. Mm -hmm. Not only did I create a calling post, I also reached out to the PTA board. I reached out to my church community, my Radical Love family. I reached out to my friends, my neighbors. My medical team, every, I reached out to everyone I, in, in my circle because it was so important to create the support team for my son, my daughter, and my husband. My children were young. They were very young. I reached out to the counsel, counselor regarding how to even tell my son and daughter what was getting ready to take place. We didn't know how to approach it. We, we asked her for support, and we, we remain connected to her to this day. Mm -hmm. So my children, on the day of the open heart surgery, they they went to school, but they were with the counselor, and they knew exactly what was taking place on their level. She had the information, the resources to talk to them. And it was important to include my children. I explained to them before we left for the hospital, their feelings are validated. They Their feelings matter. And that it was very important to include them in the process because they are members of the family. Mm -hmm. My daughter is 21 right now. She can tell my story better than I can because, because I, I shared with them as well with the support from the counselor. They are very aware of heart disease and the resources and the risk. And they do share throughout the community with their friends. In fact, my daughter, when she was in the third grade, she helped one of her classmates. Uh, one of their relatives was going through a similar procedure. And she said, my mom is a survivor. And, and uh, she gave them encouraging words about the whole process. So she was really listening. <laughs> so I am grateful for my village. I'm still a patient. I'm still a patient. Even though I was in the hospital for 11 days back in 2009, I remain a patient for life. And we and my village has expanded. So I'm so <laughs> I am so grateful. Even with my husband, he also received support. It was important. And I, I'm happy to say my husband and I 
uh, this past June celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary. Oh, that's yeah, beautiful. 30 years. Yeah, 30 years. And I love so, it. You have so many great things to celebrate. I do. Uh, this and, year, it's 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 amazing. <laughs> and um, you know, you use the calling poles, uh, the 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 phone tree. You know, <laughs> many a different things. And you know, people still use calling posts now, but yes. so many texts and apps that people can use to yes. schedule and add folks. And so just using the technologies that's available for people, whether it's something that's short-term caregiving or it's long-term caregiving, to be able to use the apps we have available to help schedule, you know, your network, your community of people to help support your loved one. And again, the first part of this is just being able to share the share the journey share yeah. what's going on because if people don't know um they certainly can't help you but also tell them what you need from them and just like for you you know you would tell people okay i need for you to bring food i need you to check on my husband i need you to take my husband out i need you to take the kids out you yeah. gave them tasks as well and so not only you know can you help but you know tell them what to do yes i i reached out to everyone um my neighbors made a schedule. I'm just so appreciative of my village. Uh, I was in a hospital for 11 days and my heart was, it was heavy because I missed my family and I love my family. So it was very important for me to take that time uh, the day before my open heart procedure to create the calling post and to reach out to everyone. So I, I'm so grateful. I am so grateful. And so I encourage other patients prior to surgery, right. reach out to every, cause you, you don't know, you can't see the future. So do it now, reach out, have everything in line. So I, I encourage other patients take the initiative to be proactive and reach out to their loved ones for support. Yeah. That's, that's a great, a great piece of advice to, yes. um, as as we journey um to the yes. next part of our conversation but that's that's a key part part of a uh, key piece of information that i hope our listeners are hearing and absorbing and so we're going to take a short sponsor break and then okay. we'll return to learn more about Kim's okay. caregiving journey thank you thank you call for caring incorporated in partnership with Bellevue Baptist Church and the Alpha Eta Chapter of Chi Eta Phi Sorority Incorporated presents the 2024 Chicago Family Caregiver Expo. Family caregivers will have their cups filled with resources from over 35 vendors, empowerment through expert presenters, self-care through health screenings, vaccines, manicures, and massages, transforming experiences through yoga, meditation, and virtual dementia tours, care scholarships for respite care, song and music through the Caregiver Celebration Concert. Join us Saturday, June 8th, 10 a.m. until 3 p.m. in the Bellevue Ministry Center, located at 10715 South Halstead Street, Chicago. Register today at callforcaring.org. Welcome back. We are speaking with Kimberly Goodlow, caregiver and advocate for patients and family caregivers. Kim, so let's jump back in and talk about self-care, um, you know, as you journeyed for your sister and then also um, just taking care of yourself as you continue to, as you say, be a patient 
for heart disease, but it sounds like you're caring for other people in many different ways as well. So do you have a, a self-care routine? And, and if so, if you can kind of share what that looks like, and if not, what would you like for your self-care routine to look like? Yes, I would love to share my self-care routine. First, I pray daily. Mm. I pray daily. I read daily devotionals. I take a walk at the park. I treat myself uh, at a, one of my favorite restaurants. I write in my journal. And one of my favorite, I listen to smooth jazz music. It just relaxes me. So that's what I, that's my daily routine. And prayer is the key. I, okay. I stay connected to God. Yeah. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> you yes. not only have one thing, you have several things that you do. <laughs> that is wonderful. You got a yes. backup and a backup to a backup. <laughs> yes. The smooth jazz relaxes me. The yeah. smooth jazz music and the spa music. Mm -hmm. The spa music, yeah. It's amazing how music can just completely change your mood, you know? It, it does. It, I it agree. Does. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just, just listening to music can just lift you up or settle you down if you need to be settled. So those are all amazing things. I woke up um, this morning, turned on my jazz music. I wanted to get ready for the interview. Okay. So that the <laughs> and that calmed you down. We're good. Yeah. You know, whatever works for you, everybody has their yes. own individual go-tos. Yes, ma'am. Um, and I'm so glad important. that you have a self-care routine because it's really important um, for you to be able to do that. But, and so what happens mentally, um, also presents physically, but, you know, yeah. so you're having to continue to heal from this heart disease. Yeah. But as we talked about in the introduction, for those who have high blood pressure, who have diabetes, being able to control those things kind of mm -hmm. reduces your risk of that high number of cardiovascular disease, particularly sure. for African-American women. And so, de-stressing like music, walking, that's a form of exercise as well. You know, how you eat, all those things are so, so important to regulating those things that can cause cardiovascular disease that we often see. Um, and creating a journal as well. I really encourage everyone to please create a journal Absolutely. to write down your feelings. It's, it's very therapeutic. Yes. And you know, that's, <laughs> That's a part of uh, mindfulness is, is yes. journaling. Yes. You're sitting steady. You're focusing on one thing. Your mind isn't worrying about what's going to happen next or tomorrow. Right. Um, and like you said, you release what's going on in your mind, which is Most a way definitely. of releasing stress. Yeah. Um, great. All great things. <laughs> so um, can you offer some words of encouragement um, to um, our caregivers? Um, you know, those who are um, supporting folks with lung cancer, those who are um, supporting folks with heart disease, um, any of those other specialty areas, you know, young people, when you were uh, diagnosed, you had very young children that you were trying to support as well. So are there some words of encouragement you can offer our audience? Yes, I would encourage um, anyone, no matter what you face on a daily basis, pray. Rely on your faith. Take one day at a time. Mm. Seek support. What does that look like in your own community? Take the time to research, Google, 
seeking support, additional support is the key to the recovery for the caregiver. The caregivers need support, just like the patient needs support. And in order to be able to take care of the patient, the caregiver needs to be healthy, to be rested, and to be mindful of what's taking place. So seeking additional support is the key to recovery. Absolutely. Those are all great, great things to recommend. And I will also encourage the caregivers to stay connected with the medical team, mm. any concerns, any new symptoms, any concerns that you need to address with the medical team, develop that relationship. I have an excellent relationship with my medical team because I developed the relationship over years. Right. I asked the needed questions. I made a I made a list. I created a list of concerns. Mm -hmm. So the doctors are part and the nurses are part of the medical team and they are most definitely are part of the recovery. So I really encourage the caregivers to stay connected with the medical team for any concerns they may have. Absolutely. And to please practice self-care. There yeah. are so many resources available. It didn't cost a lot of money at all. Mm -hmm. Please seek self-care. Please take care of yourself. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, when you talked about um, asking the questions, you know, as yes. part of journaling, you know, that's one thing to encourage people is to um, keep that journal that's just for um, your medical team, right? So. Yes you know, your blood pressure, you know, your changes when you have medications, new signs and symptoms that you notice, whether it's for yourself or it's for your loved one, just journaling what happens and then sharing it with the team. That's just so important to them as well, because your input of what you see every day for your loved yes. one or for yourself, that's what really is going to drive what the care team is going to do, because yes. you're the expert in this case. You see mm -hmm. the person every day, you know their changes, you know their routines, and when things change, the healthcare team is looking for you to be the first person to say, hey, look, something is wrong. You know, can we look at this? Can we have this discussion? And so that's being a very educated advocate for your loved one. And so I think those are all excellent points to be able to be an active part of your healthcare team, because this is about you or about your loved one, right? Is it? Is it? Absolutely. <laughs> so what are two actions you recommend that our listeners, family caregivers do immediately after listening to the podcast? Two actions, okay. First, I would create a list of concerns. Anything new that may have come up after listening to the podcast, I will create a list and take it to the next medical appointment. And then secondly, develop a self-care routine calendar or a journal. Mm -hmm. That's what I would suggest to do. And stay consistent. Okay. You said a calendar. So you're yes. writing it down mm -hmm. and you're making a plan that, look, I'm doing it on this day, right? Yeah. You're staying focused. You're staying motivated. And uh, it's just encouraging to see the visual. So, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Self-care calendar. I love it. That's great. <laughs> That's great. So are there like any websites, social media that you recommend folks follow that kind of helps with advocacy? Yes. Mm-hmm. I would suggest everyone to Google and visit the American Heart Association website. The support network 
provides care not only for the patients, but for the caregivers. All the information is free on their website. So I would suggest just Google American Heart Association and click support, and it would direct you toward the support network. Also, the CDC offers valuable information for caregivers and also the Caregiver Action Network. I will highly recommend that website. I receive valuable information from that website as well. And the callingpost.com if you choose to create a calling post prior to your surgery. So those okay. are the websites that I would suggest. Very good. Thank you so much. That's, that's great information to leave with and some immediate actions that people can take. Now, if they want to need to get in touch with you, is there an email address or website or anything they can reach out to? They want to follow yes, you? Uh, mm -hmm. You can, um, I'm sorry, I've provided your my website and link to your email address. So can you share that through social media, how that your listeners can. Okay. So if you could give that, if you could just give like your website or email here, and then we can certainly add it to the notes. Okay. So did you yes. want to give your website here real quick? Yes. Um, if you Google um, and enter Kimberly Goodlow, my website is on wits.com and you'll see my picture. If you Google my name, Kimberly Goodlow, and my e email address is K-A-G-O-O-D-L-O-E comcast.net okay thank you so much Kimberly for sharing that information um and thank you for the work that you do with American Heart Association um you know to work across um the nation that kind of helps that impacts our entire community um as we look at heart health month but every month you're doing this and so thank you for all that you've done Thank you. And I would like to leave words of encouragement for the caregivers. Okay. Yes. Despite any challenges you may face on a daily basis, rely on your faith, your faith, focus on your blessings, stay connected with your loved ones, and never, never lose hope. My name's Kimberly Goodluck. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank so you. this is the Empowerment Hour, which You're is welcome. presented by, absolutely. <laughs> this is the Empowerment Hour, which is presented by Call for Caring. Our organization supports caregivers through resources like today's podcast, expos, courses, and grants. We're excited to announce our Family Caregiver Expo is coming to Chicago on June 8, 2024. And you can find out more information about the Chicago Family Caregiver Expo. Um, also, we have some upcoming Family Caregiver Day and Nights Out. Um, other events, training classes. We also offer care scholarships to families for respite care. You can visit our website at www.callforcaring.org for more information on any of those events. So today's episode can be heard on uptomeradio.com or your favorite podcast platform. You can also view some of our earlier episodes and expo events on our Call for Caring Inc. YouTube channel. We hope that today's episode of the Empowerment Hour has met our goal to educate, elevate, and empower caregivers during their caregiver journey. Thank you.